0: Welcome to Momentum
1: Church. All right, well, good morning, Momentum Church. Morning, morning. Yeah, y'all were waiting on the lights. We'll try that again. Good morning, Momentum Church. Uh, so my name is Brantley Johnson. For those of you that are new around here, I'm the executive pastor here at Momentum Church, and we have a panel uh, of first responders here with us uh, this morning. We are so excited to have, and I'd like to take just a second to introduce them uh, going this way. So we have our very own Cherokee County Sheriff Frank Reynolds with us this morning.
2: Is this on? Hello? Oh,
1: we're we're going to get the sound here. Check. There, there we go. go.
2: I, I think Jay and I are the only ones wearing ties, uh, so I'm taking my tie off. Right Unless you take your tie off, you're going to be the only one here. So. That's awesome. How's that? I feel a little bit better. All right. And like a six-year-old, I still wear a clip-on. That's what we do in law
1: enforcement. So. Perfect. Uh, then we have uh, Nancy Wesselink. Uh, she is the founder and chief consultant of One Source Counseling and EAS. Uh, then we have Tom Robison, who is uh, married to Pastor Stephanie, uh, which is the most important role that he serves. Uh, the second one <laughs> that he serves is DeKalb County Senior Firefighter. Uh, and then we have, on the very end, we have uh, Jeremy Johnson, uh, who is a sergeant with Woodstock Police. So this morning we've got uh, a few questions. You know, for us, our heart is to become the number one supporter of first responders here in Cherokee County, um, and you know we've we've had a lot of different discussions with different uh, leaders in our community, and um, we wanted to be able to to have a panel discussion just because we're finding out there's so much that we don't know, um, just as average citizens here. Uh, that we felt like it's important for our church family to know. If if as a church, we're going to be moving in this direction, there's so much that we need to know. Um, And so we've got uh, these first responders here with us today, and um, we're going to ask them just a few questions here. And Sheriff, I'm going to start with you. What is one thing that people may not realize that sheriff's deputies deal with?
2: Um, Well, I'm just going to kind of uh, explain the difference between uh, sheriff's deputy and a police officer for just a moment. Because uh, a lot of people don't know, you know, normally we wear brown. And uh, so, does anybody know the difference between a, a sheriff's deputy or a sheriff and a police officer? Raise your hand if you do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jack.
2: <laughs> so, a lot of people don't know. Well, the sheriff is one of four constitutional officers in the county. That means all 159 counties have four elected people that work for you. So as a sheriff, I don't work for the board of commissioners. I don't work for a public safety director. I don't work for the mayors or anybody. I work for the citizens. And uh, and so the tax commissioner, probate judge, clerk, of courts, and a sheriff are all elected and are on a four-year cycle. Um, but by the Constitution, the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of the county. Kind of go back 100 years ago, there really weren't any police departments. The sheriff did it all. Uh, for our older folks in the crowd, you may remember the term still used time to time, here comes the law. So the sheriff was the law. And uh, and so the sheriff, by the Constitution, the George Constitution, is required to maintain and operate the jail. Currently, we have about 600 inmates. We're in the process of growing another one, or growing way before water, and it just multiplies. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, unfortunately, as the county continues to grow, we have to keep up with those demands, and by the law of percentages, uh, our inmate population goes up. The other is to uh, maintain and operate the security at the courthouse. So if you've gone to the courthouse for any reason, uh, we are there to make sure that everybody has a safe uh, uh, time while they're uh, getting paperwork filed or uh, going to uh, a certain jury trial or something like that. The other is to issue warrants and civil process uh, throughout the county and for that matter throughout the state. And the other is the general law enforcement services uh, throughout the county. So although we can operate within the cities, we try not to duplicate those services. Uh, but we certainly help our partners out uh, quite often. And they help us. As a matter of fact, he's on the SWAT team. We have a multi-agency SWAT team. And uh, But we're not like Cobb County. We don't have a county police force. I don't really particularly care that uh, we go that route. Because, again, I work for you. If you don't like something, you tell me. I try to make it work, or at least we figure it out together. Um, because I like that that level of connection with our citizens. You know, uh, Typically, a, a county chief of police works for a public safety director who works for, um, say, a, a county manager who works for a board of commissioners. And you can see the layers of bureaucracy. Well, that doesn't happen in our case. So if you need something, call Jay. And uh, <laughs> we'll be happy to help you out. But, um, you know, we've got 455 employees, and and we're about to get 14 more positions. Uh, We're the sixth largest full-service sheriff's office in the state. Uh, We operate on about a $40 million budget. Uh, uh, As a matter of fact, I think we're the largest county employer. I don't mean the school system because they're not county employees. So although I don't work for the commissioners, they do set our budget, and, you know, our employees get those benefits. So that's kind of the... Big difference between what they do and what we do Uh, but I'll tell you we've got a a great partnership with our public safety folks from fire EMS 911 the marshals office and uh, and you just don't see that in other communities and but we have some common interests and things like that and I think we're gonna talk about some of those things um, and and how you can partner with us and opportunities like this Uh, because let's face it people typically don't call us come over to their house when they're having a good time. Like, hey, we're having a barbecue. Y'all come on over. <laughs> no, they, they wait until they're liquored up after that barbecue and start beating on each other. And hey, need you to come fix this or set each other on fire or whatever it is. <laughs>
1: so, But uh, firemen, I love them,
3: <laughs>
1: especially this guy. So what you're saying is, is there's a lot of different aspects to what the sheriff's office deals with that probably we wouldn't normally think about.
2: Absolutely, and, uh, and, and the jail being one of those things. You know, we've got, uh, two years ago we were up to a population of 750 people, and the vast majority of the people in our jail are good people, and they've made a, a mistake or a series of mistakes. Now, we've got some bad folks in there. But the vast majority of them are pre-sentence. They're waiting to go to court. Either they're given no bond, um, they uh, they're either can't make a bond or their charges uh, require them to stay in or their probation revocation, those type of things. So, you know, we don't think about sheriff's deputies all the time working in a jail. That's a tough environment. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, who wants to go work in a jail? And we're not a prison, but we're, you know, who wants to go work there? It's tough. And it's tough on those people that work in that environment day to day and one of the things we try to not to do is institutionalize our employees. Um, and the and, you know, same thing with our inmates. I mean, most of these, again, are pre-sentence. And, uh, and so we don't think about what it means to go to work every day, walking down a long corridor, you know, going into a, a pod with 60, 70, 80 inmates uh, who are agitated you know, of being in there and agitated with each other. And, uh, and doing that day after day after day and coming home. Uh, and there's got to be some residual. It is. I worked in it for two years. Uh, and so, you know, we, we have to think about those folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, you know, the folks that, uh, you know, again, don't go from, you know, happy time to happy time. They go from crisis to crisis to crisis. She can talk about that and how that wears on you.
1: Yeah, and I, I, whenever I got to spend a little bit of time with some of your sheriff's deputies at the jail, you know, we understand that most of the people here are actually good people that made just a mistake. And some people were in a really bad life situation that they didn't want to be in to begin with. And so how do we, how do we execute our job the way that we're supposed to and yet still show compassion for these people? It's a hard, uh, it's a hard thing to balance at times. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting thought that I hadn't really given any consideration to before. Nancy, uh, what's the most common issue that you see come into your office from first responders?
0: Okay, good question. It's, um, that's a broad question. There is a lot to this. So I've been in practice um, for about 25 years or so. I've been around a while. Um, And I think uh, because I do operate a behavioral health service and I have a lot of clinical people out in the field that are seeing what I'm seeing and they report back to me what they're seeing with first responders, I can tell you the vast majority without doubt, I would say 85 to 87% of what we see are relationship issues which makes a lot of sense because they First responders cannot have a normal life, normal that we think of normal. A nine-to-five job, a 40-hour week. Some of them have 40-hour weeks. Easy. But not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the only time I get to talk to a cop like this and get away with it. I'm just letting you know. <laughs>
2: hey, uh, you need to read my Facebook thing. Yeah, <laughs> Facebook's the devil, by the way. So, <laughs>
0: Apparently it's a big club. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Frank. Um, but seriously, it's a, it's a hard subject, so I try to lighten up as much as I can because this is very difficult. We, um, we find that it's a neglect kind of thing. It's not intentional by any means. I think when people marry, they marry for all the right reasons. I think their expectations are through the roof. I think we do a very poor job of preparing our spouses and spouses to be for the hardships that they're about to have and uh i think we can get on top of that a little better my goal is maybe to to try to do some retreats where we bring some couples in and we separate out the spouses and we kind of tell them this is what you need to look for and this is how you need to cope with it and when he's when he comes home and he's got that look on his face it's not you it's not you and i hear a lot of people from The first responder community saying i don't know whether to tell my spouse all the details and i don't know whether i'm telling her too many details because what they see is not what they want us to see Hmm. Um, when i worked at city of atlanta i did over 80 ride-alongs because i knew that if i was going to be working with this population i needed to see it from the inside out and i went on calls and i went on swat calls and i went on homicides Um, I went on fires. I was there when Matt Mosley was up on the crane. That's how old I am. Uh, Probably don't remember that. But it made me understand a unique perspective, I guess you could say, for a mental health professional. Because the other problem we have, folks, is we've got safety nets for these folks to, to seek. The problem is, are the safety nets appropriate and effective? So my other goal is to make sure that my mental health clinicians in my network are very well versed in first responder issues and how that stress affects the family and the relationship and why those relationships fail. Um, I've seen a lot of trauma with first responders, the bad calls, um, the stress of the job itself, insomnia, substance use. But it generally falls back to there's no comfort at home because there's certainly no comfort on the street. Um, It's something that is near and dear to my heart is I want them to go home and be able to relax and breathe and enjoy their family time. So our goal is to get on the the front end of that and to see what we can do to help keep these relationships strong uh, and have it be the best medicine, if you will, for these, these folks that do these really tough jobs.
1: Yeah, that's tough. Um, Tom, I, you're the only one that I personally know that has actually been on both sides. Uh, you were a sheriff's deputy for a while, as well as now you're in the fire department. Um, so what is kind of the mental process that you go through whenever you arrive on some sort of traumatic scene?
4: So is like it a, like a motor vehicle accident or something? Yeah, y'all
1: respond to all kinds of different calls. And I, I know that every situation is going to be different, but just kind of, I, I know there's various procedures and whatnot that you're having to go through, but at the same time, you're having to deal with the emotions of what you're seeing. How, how do you walk through all of that?
4: Um, well, let's see, how do I describe it? It's uh, I've been on car wrecks that are probably some of the most chaotic scenes that I've ever been on. And it's very, it's very much like this between me and my crew. Is and it might not look like it from the outside, but um, you know, first and foremost, we're trying to keep ourselves safe because you know you'll, you'll hear it from everybody. If we're not safe, then we can't help people, and so on and so forth. But um, you know, you can have <coughs> you can have husbands screaming that their wife is dead in the car, and there's <coughs> their daughters in the back seat, um, and you're trying to. Co- cut the mom out. Um, and, you know, as you're sitting there with the big, loud tools, trying to cut them out, um, still you're you're talking, like, I'll talk to my captain or I'll talk to my tail ward, um, very much like this to try to, <clears throat> try to mitigate as much chaos as we can. Because, um, you know, like, behind us, we'll have people screaming, but very much like if Jeremy was my captain, I'd be, you know, telling him what I need or what he needs from me um, in a very... <laughs> as much even-keeled tone as we can to try to make ourselves not look like we're panicked. If yeah. It, <clears throat> I don't know if that's what you want. But,
1: so. Yeah, so so you kind of have to shut it off. Oh, yeah, yeah.
4: Um, and I think it's the same, and I, you know, I did PD, so it's the same with PD. You can't let the emotions override your decision-making ever. Um, and the only time you really have to deal with that is, either when you get back in the rig or back in the car or back to the station. Um, and sometimes you don't have time to deal with it because you'll be on the way back and then get banged out with something else. So you try not to sit there and, and keep it all in. But yeah.
1: hmm. all right, So Jeremy, uh, what impact does your job have on your marriage slash family dynamic?
3: So they kind of hit on some of the stuff I was going to say. You know, we have some obvious stuff, uh, schedules. Um, since it's a 24-7 thing, you just never know. It's it's more erratic um, from a family perspective. They kind of know what our schedule is, but anybody looking out. I, mean, I know around here, you know, if I'm, whether I'm going to be here every Sunday or, you know, there's been a lot of missed holidays, uh, birthdays, family gatherings, you know. It's not uncommon for our family to have Thanksgiving on a Saturday, you know, um, you know, or Christmas might has to come, you know, a day or two early or a day or two later. Um, but I think there's a lot of um, stuff people don't know, you know. So <coughs> talking about the, you know, the emotional side of it it's from Tom and uh, Stancy. The, uh, I was thinking about today, you know. So anybody that ever worked with their hands, you know, the first t- couple times you ever worked with your hands, uh, it hurt, you know. But over time, you build up that callous, you know, and it doesn't hurt anymore. I think that's kind of uh, the same thing. You can only see so much chaos, destruction, um, bad stuff go on, and, and your heart's no different. It starts to become callous. Um, you know, and it, it's a fight, it's a struggle. Especially at home, you know, you, you, you take in all that, uh, that emotion that you have to put aside when you're on a scene somewhere, and it's gotta go somewhere. Um, so it kind of toughens up over time. And then that carries home, you know, so you, You know, emotions aren't just, you know, fear, you know, anger, frustration, but you also have, uh, you know, happiness, joy, everything else, too, so it doesn't just shut off on one side, it shuts off on both sides. Um, You know, so it's something, you know, through the grace of God and patience with my family, so, you know, that we've been able to work through, you know, over time. It's a continual process, you know, because you just never know what the next call is going to be or what next week holds or, you know, so, and then... Along with all the other stuff that goes with it, too. Wow.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it, I can speak for our staff as we've asked questions and you know gotten to be around some of these first responders and whatnot. I mean, it's been totally eye-opening for us. You know, for for most citizens, the amount of tragedy that you experience in your lifetime, they're going to experience in less than a year. You know. Um, and depending on what department you're in, depending on what county, what city you're in, I mean, they could be experiencing more than you do in a week. They could experience more than you do in your entire lifetime. And they have to figure out what to do with that. Um, and you know, it's, it, it can either be an intentional or it can be an unintentional decision. Um, and that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why, uh, as our eyes have been opened, it's like, man, there's gotta be someone to step in. There's got to be someone to step in and help um, and, and figure that out. And we don't have all those answers yet. I don't think anybody has officially all of the answers, but you know, can we step in somewhere and start making that difference? Um, so this question is for all of you, um, and we'll start here with the sheriff and work our way this way. What is one thing that you wish the average citizen knew about your life as a first responder?
3: Well,
2: I was never in the military. Uh, My son uh, just graduated basic training. My dad was in the military. He was a naval aviator. My uncle was a Marine. My grandfather was in the Navy. Um, But I did have an opportunity to go overseas and work in Iraq with the State Department's high threat protection program for 374 days uh, total. It was over three and a half years. Uh, We lost 43 of our guys. Uh, I've been hit with an IED, uh, been in a couple uh, gunfights, seen a lot of interesting things, Um, nothing compared to this job. Hmm. So when I went over there, I was like, actually much worse than that. And having spent that time there, I don't mean to take anything away from the military or those environments, but uh, they're just different. But this is concentrated. It's a lot of stuff. But I guess uh, to answer your question, uh, this is not who I am. It's what I do. Now, I think we're all part of something bigger than ourselves, and that's why we get into this thing. But um, there's a tendency to group us, especially in law enforcement, as, I'm just going to say it, F the police. You know, let's get real. We, we have the stigma across America, whatever happens in Ferguson or whatever, you know, we get painted with a broad brush. Don't do that. Mm. You know, it, it's it's tough. You know, people, you get in that patrol car and you drive around and you'll notice it. I mean, it's it's uh, it's palpable. You know, people treat you with a, with a disdain. Not in this community, I, I mean, granted, there are little pockets of, we got we work in a great community. Half time, our deputies can't go to lunch or dinner or breakfast without someone picking up a tab. I mean, we have a great relationship and well, I'll tell you what we do have. We have trust and we build that trust through relationships and partnerships but as soon as I put this uniform on, you know, people treat you different and a lot of times negatively Um, you know, you just see the worst in people again, I go back, nobody calls us when they're having a party and want us to participate and have fun it's kind of like being a, uh, a pastor, you know hey, I want you to fix my problem you know, hey You know, my son's in jail. I need you to pray for him. (coughs) Same thing, you know. Um, You know, my wife's cheating on me, uh, and I'm going to call you, and I want you to come out there and leverage your badge against her and her boyfriend to do whatever. You know, my kid won't go to school. So we do this day after day after day. And then you don't get paid very well. You can't pay your bills, so you take on extra jobs. In addition to that, you got to go into court on your off day. You, know, you try to work out, but you're too tired physically or emotionally. You run through McDonald's because you haven't had to sleep. You know, you, you work a 12-hour shift. You, you get off at 6 o'clock in the morning. You have to stay over process uh, your evidence. Then you have to be at court at 9 o'clock. They say, well, come back after lunch. <clears throat> then they continue your case uh, after lunch, and you get there. And about two o'clock, they say, "Come back tomorrow." We didn't have time to get to it, so you go back to work. You're tired, and then next thing you know, that's day to day. So you run through McDonald's and you grab a, a cheeseburger or something, and you know, or a QT and you get a chorizo and whatever, and you know, and and you so you, you you're gaining weight. You're arguing with your wife because you missed the recital. Uh, you missed. Whatever it may be, and then you go to crisis after crisis, these auto accidents, and then you got to pull somebody over for doing something stupid, and they meet you with attitude, and you're just trying to fix the problem, you know. So this badge is not who I am. That answers your question.
1: Yeah, that's good. Nancy. Uh, you are essentially a first responder to the first responders right so what's one thing that you wish the average citizen knew about your life helping them
0: i would i would encourage anyone who's interested do do some ride alongs hmm. get in the car and just ride um, the the surprising thing for me was how chatty they were because especially cops you don't know, ever think although he's doing a pretty good job i have to say but um, <laughs> Um, they're they're usually very you know buttoned up and serious but you spend six eight hours in a car they're gonna talk and I learned a lot about who they were and their childhoods and their pets and I think to Frank's uh, point is that I got to know them as human beings doing a thankless tough ridiculously hard job sometimes and um, so, seeing that up front, knowing that they had tremendous hearts, um, and, and spend time in the fire stations. They will feed you, oh, <laughs> good food. And if you're lucky, a deputy will come in to use the bathroom. <laughs> you could say hi to them too. Um, so it is a brotherhood, it really is. And they're, you know, they work well together. But uh, but you gotta see it from the inside out. If you really wanna help some folks, like he was saying, you know, go spend time at the jail or 911. You know, I, I love sitting with my 911 operators and just just being quiet and just sitting there and watching what they do. Um, they are truly the first, first responders, y'all. And we tend to forget about our, our dispatchers. Um, so, you know, take, take don't wait until Memorial Week don't wait until Fallen Firefighters Foundation Week because that's when everybody comes out and you know gets the Chick Fil A breakfast and all of that. Spontaneously take something somewhere, get some cookies, get something, and just kind of show up at a fire station and no say, "No donuts. Hey, have a good day." was <laughs> that. <No> donuts. <laughs> I didn't. I'm not going there. <laughs> they love them, by the way. Take them. Take a lot of them. Um, so yeah, so just, just you know get to know them. Um, as a church, you might want to adopt, you know, take take fire station shift A at a station or shift B, shift C, um, 911 shift C. Tom says. <laughs> um, or like I say, you know, adopt a 911 operator and just say you want to hang out with them for a while, and and that means more to them than you will know when citizens really want to take time to get to know their folks from inside out. And and the only other thing I want to say is the hardest part for me is, you know, I'm a social worker at heart. We're all social workers at heart here. Um, And so it's hard for me not to grieve when I hear what they've been through. It's hard for me not to. I'm I'm an empath anyway, but it's really difficult for me to kind of maintain that boundary a little bit. There are many, many times where, you know, at the end of the day, I'll go have a little tearful cry and kind of let it all out. But, um, But God's been good to me. And um, I feel like this is, this is my calling, is to, to be there for them as best as I can be.
1: Tom, how about you, sir? Uh,
4: is the same question? <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: <I don't>
1: know. <laughs> yeah, so what is one thing that you wish the average citizen knew about your life as a first responder?
4: OK, so when Stephanie told me about this, I thought she said, what is one thing you wish the average citizen knew about like public safety? And my answer was immediately going to be pull to the right, so. <laughs> so, um, so uh, I don't, I, it, whether it's a little tiny cop car or the big red fire engine, just pull to the right one more time. Um, but as my life as a first responder, um, you know, I hear a lot, and this is not the answer I had thought about, but um, I hear a lot like, oh, we gotta get you closer, you need to come work for Cherokee, no okay, offense. <laughs> or you got to come work for uh, you know cop or a closer department that pays better has a better pension, but um, so I've got a 40 mile one- way commute to the cab and uh, I, <clears throat> I do it for a reason so I don't have to see I can drive through the intersections and streets here and not be like oh I ran a call there or I I ran, you know, oh, ran wow. a call there or whatever um, and I don't know if it's a I don't know it's just like an intrinsic thing that I do to kind of protect myself, um, and a lot of people don't, I guess, aren't aware that we make those decisions. So.
1: Wow, well, you know, I, that's, that's another eye-opening thing that, you know, I'm sure that most of us here had never really thought about. Uh, you know, people, people will actually leave churches if, if they have a loved one that uh, has a funeral done in that church. Um, because whenever they come in, all they associate the church with at that point was that funeral of that loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much does that affect you guys around whenever you're running calls and you see the intersections where you pull that person from that from that vehicle or whatever, or you gave the bad news here or whatever it is. I mean, hadn't really thought about that. That's really...
4: And to be clear, pretty much everybody loves the fire department. People don't love police, which is sad. But no one's ever, no one's ever, super angry to see the fire department come to their house. Um, so like, <clears throat> we can go to the grocery store and people will give us uh, crap. Sorry. Um, about much worse <coughs> has
1: been said from this stage.
4: <laughs> you know, <clears throat> about uh, about shopping on the clock or shopping using taxpayer dollars, which is not true. We pay for our own groceries. Um, but it's a lot better than, you know, walking through the. Walking through Walmart and being like, "Ah, did I arrest that guy?" Like, because uh, that guy's looking at me weird. So, it's force in restaurant. Oh, called. sure. Uh...
3: Jeremy, what about you, sir? So yes, it is illegal to drive slow in the fast
1: lane.
3: <laughs> 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 no, I was thinking about it. Um just we're people so you know we have hopes dreams you know uh, I have good days bad days struggles fears you know um, a lot of it is you know with my family you know I got hopes for them hopes for you know my wife my kids uh, you know when you meet somebody on the road whether they be a, a police officer a sheriff's deputy a firefighter um, you know a lot of times people say well I didn't like the way they talked to me they were very stern they were stuff uh, a lot of times when you're talking to somebody like on a traffic stop and you're a little more stern or something, you, you might not know that they just, you know, we're doing CPR on a seven-year-old or uh, mm-hmm. and they've got a five-year-old at home, you know, so it really hits home. Uh, or they just ran a call where, you know, a husband beat his wife, you know, and he had to wrestle and fight him and take him off. Or uh, you dealt with somebody in a car accident, you know, and you just had to go tell somebody that their loved one's not coming home anymore. Um, so not that that excuses bad behavior at all. Um, But just, you know, if they're not quite, you know, as um, careful or quite as emotional as you might think, you know, and I think we should be that as people in general, you know, you never know what somebody else is walking through, period. Um, So kind of keep that in your mind when when you're talking with each other or with us, you know, you just never know what just happened or what they're going through. Yeah, that's good.
1: The, so, I mean, this is, all, this is all why we're here, right? It's, uh, the reason why we're doing a panel discussion today instead of a sermon is because I, for those of you that have been around Momentum for a while, you know, we just came out of this bite-sized series. We, we want to make uh, spiritual principles practical, you know, and sometimes in order for us to be able to move and help. Uh, the widows and orphans um, it, it's it's the idea that we have to understand how to help them, right And as a church, our goal is to become the number one supporter of first responders in cherokee county we can't we can't do that by next week it's not something you know it's it's like that bite-sized series you know it's not something that you can just go out and achieve overnight. you know it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of research you know and we were um, I was actually looking at at Genesis 11. Uh, Can we put Genesis 11 up on the screen here for me? Um, It says, this is talking about the Tower of Babel." They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. This was the Tower of Babel. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. I love this passage because even for, even for the builders of the Tower of Babel, ultimately what was deemed as a bad thing, God himself came down and said, Man, if they're speaking the same language... And they have the same purpose, nothing will be impossible for them to build. And so, you know, just imagine if if they had the wrong hearts, they had hearts that were not lined up with what God would want them to accomplish. Taking care of people, how much more can we accomplish being a group of people that wants to do the will of God and build something for the kingdom of God? And, you know, it's a, it's a really tall order to become the number one supporter, right? I, it's, it's a really big project. This is something that's fine years for us to accomplish. Um, and, and so, it, you know, then we find out that there's all these different precincts, you know, you've got all of the different uh, firehouses. We haven't even been able to make it to all of them yet this year. Um, and, and and then you look at all the different shifts, all the different employees at all the different places, and, and it looks like a really, really big task, a really big goal for us um, to, to start really affecting this community. And um, th- then as we were talking with the various leaders closer to the beginning of the year, uh, they had told us, it's going to take a long time for you to earn trust with with all of these first responders, because in, in essence, they are trained to not trust any given situation. Um, because they have to be really analytical and, and think it through and make sure that they're being safe in the process. So it's gonna take a long time for you to earn their trust. So we've got a, a bigger group of people than we could have imagined, taking a lot longer to earn their trust than we could have imagined. Um, so, how do we go about doing it? And the answer for us is we're gonna do it very patiently. We're going to do just like we said in this bite size series. We're going to take one bite at a time. If we're building a city like the Tower of Babel, but with the right hearts, we're doing it one brick at a time. You know, and, and with every family that we help, with every meal that we take, with every conversation we have, with every event that we host... We are going to take on one brick at a time and build it bigger and bigger and bigger. Because if we're speaking the same language and we have the same purpose, nothing for us will be impossible. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to become the number one supporter of first responders here in Cherokee County. If you want to get on this ride, and we'd love to have you. right? Because that's where we're going as a church. And, and for us, one of, the, one of the bricks in the foundation that we are laying, we're, we're getting started. We've done uh, several different things throughout this year, um, but one of the things that we are doing this year, if you remember two weeks ago, uh, we had talked about a uh, first responder here in Cherokee County. Uh, she is a sheriff's deputy uh, here, and uh, she's a single mom of a 14-year-old. Uh, the ex-husband has not been helping with child support, to my understanding, hasn't been Uh, taking care of the mortgage like he's supposed to. And as a result, it's left this first responder in a really, really bad way. And what we wanted to be able to do was we wanted to be able to get them a few Christmas presents and be able to pay for one month of her mortgage. Well, we weren't able to pay for one month of her mortgage. We were able to pay for two months of her mortgage because of your generosity. And we have this pile of gifts which does anybody remember whenever like $800 would like get you a lot more things, right? I just got to say, this is $800 worth of presents, games and stuff that they specifically asked for um, that we were able to deliver because of your generosity. And we've already given her uh, the mortgage check for December. And so from Momentum Church uh, to the sheriff's office, sheriff, we'd like to hand you January's mortgage absolutely. Thank you so much. I wasn't sure if he had on a Superman shirt under. I was like, what's about to happen? Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you guys so much for coming. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much for today, Lord. Thank you uh, for this group of people who is willing to talk with us today. Thank you so much, Lord, that um, uh, we get to take part in in helping, Lord. And and God, we're not we're not just helping widows and orphans, God, but we, Lord, as a church, we are helping prevent widows and orphans. In the name of Jesus, that's the call. We thank you, Lord, for for partnering with us, God. We just pray that you will give us the courage to do whatever needs to be done, God. We pray that you will give us uh, the resources to do whatever you want to accomplish in these first responders' lives, Lord. Help us bring stories of hope to this first responder community. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.